This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com. Welcome to All the Social Ladies with CEO of Likeable Media, Carrie Kerpin. Now, Carrie Kerpin. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of All the Social Ladies. I'm Carrie Kerpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and today I get to speak with Kate Rados, who I absolutely adore. She is the Vice President of Community Development at Crown, which is a division of Penguin Random House. I was so happy to talk to her because I found her story to be completely fascinating, not just how she builds communities and helps empower authors to share their stories online, but really about the story of her career and how she used her complete and total fearlessness to basically land every job she ever wanted, whether it was MTV or going into publishing. She just walked right in and took that thing. And she we could learn a lot from her, all of us social ladies. I am totally, totally impressed. And I'm so excited to have her on the show. Take a listen. Oh, thank you, Carrie. Thanks so much for having me. And we're so excited to have you here. I know that we've been in touch, obviously, through Twitter forever. And so it's so (laughs) great to get to hear the story of your career, have you share it with me as well as all of our listeners. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it's been a wild ride. And I think you and I probably met during the first wave of Twitter. I think we yes. were like OG Twitterati. Yes, or OG. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when it was still like the coolest thing you could ever do is like really be hardcore on Twitter. And you knew everyone, everyone who was on there felt like a, just a small town. That's right. And, and nobody understood outside of that bubble exactly right. what the heck you were doing. <laughs> Why are you on that? What is that? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. So tell me the story, Kate. Tell me how you got to where you are today. Oh, gosh. It is it is the weirdest ride. And I think, you know, it's, it's also been the best ride. Um, so I, I was a musical theater actress. And oh, I hear it now I, that I'm talking yeah, to you. I hear it. I hear so, the theater. <laughs> Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll do. Launch into 76 trombones. Yeah. It'll happen. Oh, please do. Please do. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but it was, I went to school for musical theater um, on Staten Island in this very, very uh, amazing school, Wagner College, that nobody hears about, but it's on all these Princeton lists as like the best, you know, theater school. And wow. I, I went there with the understanding like, okay, I'm from this very tiny town. I'm going to make it in the big st- big city, but I'm going to yeah, start on Staten Island. It's still far that's a, away. That's a good start. It's a nice foray into the city. It's like a little bit like a toe dip, a toe dip. Exactly. So dip your toe in Staten Island. Right. Um, so then, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm a very pragmatic person. And I thought, all right, well, you know, this, this theater thing is, is great. Um, you know, I, I love ramen noodles, but let me see if I can have some sort of career here. And I, I ended up getting an internship at a, a theater co- uh, at a talent agency. And, uh, you know, I just kind of watched my eye around and I ended up, I ended up strangely just being enamored with, uh, talent and, and, uh, 
actors and actresses and things. And I was like, you know what? I, I would love to be on the other side of the table. Let me see if I can be a casting director. And I had no fear. I don't even know who I thought I was. But then I just started calling MTV. I was like, I'm going to call Get MTV. Who here. do I know? I swear to you. I was just like, I think I know who that producer is. I think they called this agency once before. Let me just call her. <laughs> and so I, I just called. I, I basically, at this point, they probably should have had some sort of like warrant out for me because I stalked <laughs> these people. I was just like, "Hi, it's Kate again. We talked last month. How are you? Um, I'm really interested in casting. Is there anything? Can I help you with anything?" And I think that level of tenacity paired with they actually needed like cheap labor to help them out. Right. Um, I ended up being a casting director at MTV Animation. I was only 22 years old. I had no business being a casting director whatsoever. Oh, my God. You're right. So I ended up for five seasons being the casting director for a celebrity death match. You know that clay no, puppet? No, yes. no celebrity death match. That's <laughs> right. So I was the person who screened all the voice actors and made sure that they sounded like Stone Cold Steve Austin or... Cindy Crawford or whoever. <laughs> and it was a lot of fun. Um, so I told you this is weird. So then fast forward to um, me getting to a place where I was like, oh, gosh, you know, these gigs don't really last a long time. The show didn't get renewed. Where should I go? And a friend of mine said, you know, they're hiring at Food Network. And I thought, oh, well, let me just call them up again. Where did I get this, you know, chutzpah? <laughs> the chutzpah. Let me, right. Let me just call them up. And see what happened. So I called a few people that I knew and ended up getting in there and had a conversation with somebody. And I said, listen, I've never done publicity in my life. I said, but I work with actors, so I can help you with your talent. So I'll help you with your talent and you can teach me how to do publicity. <laughs> They're like, okay. And I, don't, I don't know. It was weird. It was completely weird. So Fast forward to all these wonderful moments with Jada De Laurentiis and Rachel Ray. I was like launching all these great stars. This was and really the start, right, of when the Food this, Network kind of exploded, right? Exactly right. This is like, what, 99, 2000, wow. 2001. And we uh, ended up doing a lot of their book tours. And I am such a nerd when it comes to publishing. I love books. We had books streaming all over the house. We, all we did was read. I read iRobot over the summer when I was eight years old. I mean, it was the Aww. biggest like, lit, lit nerd, Asimov fan. And I ended up making connections in publishing. And I was like, you know what? I, I really want to just be there. And so I ended up getting a job at, at Sterling Publishing, with, with, which is also Barnes & Noble, and ended up just you know doing some publicity. And it was great. And this is where Twitter started happening and, you know, all the other kind of social media moments started happening. And publishing was kind of in that space where it was like, wow, there are a lot of changes here in publishing. It's, right. um, we're going digital, there's eBooks, there's really kind of huge, huge culture shift in publishing. And because I had that chutzpah, I was really just fearless when it came to change. And when they needed somebody to start looking at their website and figuring out how to advise authors on how to use social media, they looked at me and they went, yeah, you do this, right? Wow. <laughs> and I said, absolutely. I know exactly how to do No clue. I had no clue. Wow. So around 2005, 2006, I ended up running their websites and their social media platforms. And it's been uphill ever since. It's been amazing. It's been a lot of fun and, and just thinking recently of starting from that really kind of tiny moment where I said, I, I was looking at like Facebook on this day and it was like one of my little Facebook posts that it said, 
you know, guys, check out this new Twitter feed that I have for Sterling Publishing. And it was such a, wow, I remember that moment where it was, you know, nobody understood exactly why I was doing this on behalf of a company, but they were like, well, yeah, just, just see what happens. And it was just so much fun. That is so awesome. And such a great story. <laughs> I have, okay, I have a million questions for you. So okay. did you always, would you have always described yourself as fearless? I, I heard you talk about what, that when you were young, you were reading iRobot and all of these things, but as a child, were you fearless? Because I, I feel like this is, this is something that we as women need to channel more of, which is our confidence, right? We're all highly competent and we don't focus enough on our confidence. Was this something that you always had? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I think it's because, you know, I had such great role models in my life. I had my, you know, my mother, it was a full-time, uh, you know, worker. I, you know, was very independent as a child. You know, she, uh, head up, heads up her accounting at this, you know, family run business. And she really just put that in front of me. Like, you know, you could do whatever you want. And in fact, here I'm doing, <laughs> you know, I, right. I'm not, what you, want. you know, I, I'm, I'm doing what I'd like to do. And my family's super important, but also my career is important too. And I think that she really set that stage for me to feel like, all right, well, I have no problem with this. Let's just try it. <laughs> that is so awesome. I wanted to ask you, I was thinking of this. Many, many women suffer from what's called the um, imposter syndrome. So we take on something oh. and we're like, how the hell did we get picked for this? Or what are we doing? And, and I'm a fraud and I'm going to be discovered. As you took on these bigger new challenges, like the website, like all of these things, did you ever feel that? And if so, how did you push past? Or were you just determined to say, I am worth all of this and I, I'm not going to question myself? Oh, no, I absolutely. I mean, to this day, right at this moment, I always have imposter syndrome. Yes. And I think it's it's because, gosh, I think it's because, you know, we we have these amazing skill sets that we kind of like, you know, hone and we and we're we're very inquisitive as professional women. We want to learn. We want to keep growing. But because we're pushing, we're also not taking the moment to kind of say, OK, um, let me just check myself here and figure out what I want to do. So it kind of like just hits you momentarily where you're like, oh, wait a minute. I, I'm doing this. I'm doing I'm juggling all these websites. I'm running this department. Oh, right. my goodness. What am I doing? You know, but then I guess I just I feel like I just push through and kind of try to, you know, own that moment and say, OK, yeah, I'm having a little bit of self-doubt, but you just have to push through because it's, you know, you got yourself into the situation. Now you got to kind of just plow through. It's basically um, like feel the fear and do it anyway. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I am incredibly afraid of heights. I am really super afraid of heights. But if you find me in some sort of tourist moment where I need to be on, on the top, top of the Eiffel Tower or I need to be somewhere because it's this once in a lifetime moment, you best believe I will push myself to be up there, be scared as heck up there, but I will push myself. And I kind of feel like that's same here. Like if I'm afraid of, you know, running this department of 14 people, then so be it, but I'm going to push through and I'm going to make sure that it, at least I'm trying it because I never want to look back and regret not having I tried. I absolutely love it. Okay. So now tell me, here you are now, the vice president of community development, right? Mm -hmm. And this is for yeah. Crown, which is at Penguin Random House, right? So they've all kind of had, there's been lots of change in the, in the publishing world, right? So this is, so you're at Crown 
at Penguin. Is how how do you say it exactly? You'd be at Crown <laughs> at, at Crown Rand- Publishing, which is a division of Penguin Random House. Perfect. Yes. Okay. Good. So, okay, so you're at Crown. Now tell me a little bit about what you do there as the Vice President of Community Development. Oh, gosh. I love saying that I am in charge of everything, everything that beeps at Crown. Oh, <laughs> that's, that's nice. everything, right? I mean, that's everything from websites to email marketing to social media to um, consumer an- analysis. You know, it, it's pretty much everything that beeps. <laughs> and um, I run a team of 14, and they are incredible, incredible people. Um and we basically run all of the vertical communities for Crown Publishing. So that's like a book club, a cooking community, a healthy lifestyle community. And that includes, as I mentioned, the website, but also the email marketing, the social media. And on top of that, we also make sure we have all the strategies in place to make sure every single author and every single title has some sort of social media presence um, across, gosh, hundreds of titles that we publish every year. Wow. So it's not just kind of tapping into the communities of interest. It's making sure that the authors themselves are armed with the skills and and, uh, background necessary to be able to do that themselves. Exactly right. So imagine if you are running social media for Walmart. If you were equating my position with that, you would say, okay, I'm in charge of not only uh, the Walmart social strategy, but I'm also in charge of the social strategy for this particular store, for this particular um, housewares department, this particular product, and the people who actually create the product, who have created the ingredients within the product. So it goes deep, my friend. So where does it resonate most, do you find? with Do you find that with readers, when it comes from the author themselves, it, re- it, it carries more weight? Or is it that, you know, coming and just tapping into the communities is where it's at? What, what works best? Or is it a mix? You know, I don't think it's an either or. I think it's an also and. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. basically, you know, I, I find that readers are fans of specific authors who use social media to really connect with their readers and not in a buy my book sort of way. It's more of a, you know, ongoing conversation and they ask their readers for advice or give them some extra storytelling moments or even share personal items with them, which are, are always fantastic. But I also feel that... Readers really crave a sense of community because when you think about what you're reading next, you probably have heard it from a friend, from somebody who has said to you, look, I, I just read this incredible book and, you know, I, I believe that you would totally love it too. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, and of course, you know, advertising and, you know, social and uh, from the publisher and that sort of thing absolutely factors into it. But it's probably because you're either cued in with a favorite author and you know their new book is coming out or somebody close to you or that you respect or that you value has made that um, recommendation to you. And so when you work with people making recommendations, that's where you tap into, I assume, communities of interest, right? People who like a certain type of, of book or a certain genre. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a whole editorial staff that that is really focused on making those types of recommendations based on not only what they're reading and what we're all reading collectively, because we, you know, we actually sit down and talk to each other about like, oh, what did you, did you read this new one? Or okay, great, what did you think? Um, and then give the people who follow us in those communities a real honest recommendation and say, you know 
hey, if you love uh, The Martian, we think that you might like this other book. Or if you're a huge Gillian Flynn fan, we think that you might like this other one. And and trying to make it as authentic as possible. I think a lot of a lot of uh, reader community sites have an element of that, but then there's it's very easy to kind of pull that automation trigger and say oh, well, now we have an algorithm that's going to show you, based on this, you'll, you'll love these four books. Well, you know, my, my mood is not an algorithm. My mood right. is I, I'd love, you know, to read Gillian Flynn this weekend, but last weekend I was totally into the Leah Remini book about Scientology. You know, it, it just depends on your mood, really. So, Kate, in mentioning kind of the algorithm of suggesting what books you might like and, and talking about mood and taste and all of these things – I would imagine it has to be very personalized. And so is that part of what the staff does in terms of recommendations within the community? Are they actively engaging within communities of interest? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think I, I don't necessarily want to poo-poo algorithms. I think yep. I think that they're appropriate for, you know, people who just want to grab their recommendation and leave. But when we come to, you know, that real curated moment where where it's like, okay, I have this idea about the best um, historical fiction books that anybody would love to read. And we'll actually sit here and talk about it versus just selecting from the top five that we personally want to promote. I I should say with our communities, and I I think this is very, very important to stress, that each one of our vertical communities is what we call publisher agnostic. That means that, yes, Crown and PRH are certainly a priority for us. They, They pay our bills. But... We talk about if Harper Collins has a book that we're super excited to talk about, we're going to talk about it. If if it's somebody from you know Simon and Schuster, great, that author can speak with us. We, we we're serving the reader. We want to make sure that the reader gets the best experience that they can, and it may not have all the bells and whistles, and it may not have you know multi million dollar budgets and huge algorithms, but we we're in the service of the reader. See, I love that. I think both what you talked about around the personalization um, and being sort of publisher agnostic speaks to the authenticity of the communities that you create, which I really, I really, really love that. So do you guys sit with like, do you get a calendar, you get a calendar of all the books that are being released and you, you then promote each one individually? And do you determine based on how do you know, do you know beforehand which one is going to be big or we really should do this against this one? How do you, how do you kind of plan in your process? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can tell from not only our internal announcements, but just around the trades, you know, which which books people are really starting to buzz about early. And, and you know, we, we definitely keep those in mind and make sure that we have something planned for them, but they may not get an equal weight. So something might, you know, fall in line with more of a trend overview of, you know, particular, you know, like, like books that are named girl, the girl who, yeah, <laughs> yep. a little trend piece of that sort. If, if we're feeling that we're not going to get a lot of meat out of that particular article. Um, but then we, then we think about, you know, we, we create bookshelves based on themes and things like that. But then we also are very cognizant of being flexible. So if there's this book that, or, or, or a genre that comes out of the blue. So for instance, adult, adult coloring books, who the heck knew that adult <laughs> coloring books was going to be the new Isn't yoga? Crazy. Isn't it nuts? <laughs> My 80 year old mother, really asked me, she's like, yeah, she's like, okay, where can I get these coloring books? I was like, we have four. Do you want, <laughs> which one That's do you want? Really funny. Um, but, you know, we remain agile, uh, you know, and make sure that 
listen, I, I don't think necessarily that I'm the type of person who would have the time. I have a toddler. I don't think I'd have the time to do a coloring book, but yep. I, it's it's something that people are talking about and people are interested in. So yeah, we'll we'll do a roundup and make sure that we we talk about this new craze. And um, you know, that's something that we certainly didn't plan for. If you talked to us midsummer last year, so sometimes things just surprise you. Absolutely, and that, I mean that that should just be a you know an understanding across anything social media and anything marketing. Prepare sure. to be surprised. <laughs> For sure. And how do you measure the success of your social media efforts? Are you measuring it by performance by each book? Do you're measuring it? How are you measuring it as a whole? How do you know if what you're doing is working and how? Well, from the community level, it's it's definitely engagement. You know, mm-hmm. we're very happy with the the numbers that we're reaching, but I think we're happier to track how many people are actually engaging in the conversation. So that's mm-hmm. that's super important to us at the community level, more so than the the numbers or the volume. Um, it's really that 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 engagement. But on the book level, you know, it, it really does depend. I think on the book level, we're a little happier with the number of people who are talking about that book. Good, bad, ugly, doesn't matter. As long as they're talking about it because it's engaging in a conversation. Because I trust me, I know how many really heated conversations happened around yep. the book Gone Girl. Oh, oh my yes. goodness. Yes, right. So yes, yes. even though people were having real you know, interesting moments with the plot of that book. Um, we, you know, they're, they're still talking about it. So I think at the title level, my personal opinion is that it's, it's just great that people are talking about it. Amazing. And then are you able to have any kind of equation of, uh, the conversations that are happening on social media to sales? Is there any, is there any connection there that you're able to tie directly or is it more uh, anecdotally, you know, that when they're talking more about a book, books are selling more? Yeah, it, that's super tough. I think, you know, we as as marketers are consistently chasing that, you know, yep. exact ROI. Yep. Um, it does help when we have our own communities so that if we are using social media to uh, point to a particular book, we can actually track that that path a little bit and say, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know, X percent came from Twitter when we did that Twitter only campaign and they ended up clicking through to the Amazon link, you know, just to give an example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's very hard to completely nail down. And I think, you know, just if I could pontificate a little bit about the publishing industry, we have this, you know, this challenge where we are, um, you know, a lot of publishers don't necessarily have direct sales. Yes, through Penguin Random House we do, but you know, we have our relationships with lots of retailers and independent bookstores and we want to make sure that everybody's happy. So it's hard for us to say, okay, I at Crown at this one community can track every single sale because a user might, you know, prefer Amazon. They might prefer their yeah, local bookstore. You book would have store. no idea, right. They exactly. Exactly. Yep. But we do see, I mean, you know, uh, collectively uh, we're able to see, you know, spikes in, in, in sales and traffic. Um, just take a little bit longer to get there because it's just so much noise and so much going on at one time. And what do you think is the biggest opportunity for publishers within social media today? Oh my gosh, it's it's still early days. I feel I feel mm-hmm. like, you know, we as publishers have the advantage to see what other huge companies have already tried and tested and perhaps have success, succeeded or failed, and we're able to try and 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 fail ourselves. Um, but even more so, I think that publishers have 
I mean, just imagine this entire planet filled with content and a planet filled with stories. And what is social media and what are blogs and what are newsletters? They're stories, you're storytelling. Even if it's nonfiction, you're telling a story. We own those stories. So we have this amazing ability to just dig into the depths of, you know, our storytelling and just uh, come up with these uh, wonderful, unique moments on social media. And that's where I think we have such a great opportunity and we're, we're just getting started. Oh, I absolutely love that. And do you find that most authors want to be on social media or dread it? Like, is it something that they're nervous about doing? Are they excited about doing it? Or is it just too, does it run the gamut on like by genre and, and by type of author that they are? Um, I don't think it necessarily sits with a particular genre. I think yeah. all authors are definitely more knowledgeable. And I think just as all publishers and just as all social media marketers are a lot more knowledgeable than they were, let's say, a decade decade ago. But um, I would say a good percentage of authors already have a platform. They already are, you know, working their social and have this great following, um, even sometimes before they get published for their first book. Um, sometimes they're crowdsourcing their first book within social media, and then they get discovered and get published. It's, it's such a wonderful, you know, I, I think of, you know, those old school Elvis Presley moments where you're just like on, on, you know, on a corner playing your guitar and you get discovered. It's kind of the yep. same thing. You're storytelling on social media and you suddenly get discovered. Yeah. Um, there are authors and, you know, that are not necessarily fearful of social media. I think it's just because so much is out there right now. It's overwhelming. It's, it's where do I begin? And if you listen to a lot of the talking heads of social media, uh, myself included, it, there's so much noise there. It's hard to discern, okay, well, which part is, which platform should I start with? Which is more important? What, which one is really going to work for me? And also, God forbid, which one is the most fun? Right, right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and uh, it, I think what we tell our authors is that, you know, just, just find one social media platform that works for you. If you yep. feel like you are a very visual person and you're an artist and you do illustrated books, great. Why don't you find a medium that is most akin to that, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, um, or even peach nowadays, who knows, I, you know, another fruit, let's find another fruit. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, we, we equip them with a, as much of a, you know, a guideline or training as much as we can, but with the understanding that, listen, if you're not having fun with it, don't, don't even bother. Like find one that you're having fun with that helps you tell your story. And don't you find that that's really the case? I mean, this is what I say to people all the time is if you hate it, then there's no reason to be doing it. Like you, it should be somewhere that you're spending your time that you actually enjoy. I mean, that's, I, I think that's so key in having a good social presence because people smell it when you hate it. They know. Oh, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And in fact, the, you know, it's this authenticity theme that's kind of been running through our conversation. If you're not authentic, then you're not going to be able to make an impact, whether that's telling your story, selling a book, or even making friends. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you can't make friends on social media if you're constantly like, oh, this sucks. You know? Right. Right. You have to really get into it and find your fun. And the thing about it is there's so many different networks like that the behavior is so different that you will find one that you will enjoy. I think, I mean, it's, it's really, I think it's hard to not enjoy any of them. This is true. This is true. And I think, you know, a lot of people also kind of gravitate towards one, uh, 
a platform where they feel like, oh, well, this is where my demographic lives. Well, you know, I, I belong in a certain demographic, but I find that, you know, I have more fun with certain platforms that maybe aren't necessarily directed towards my demographic. And, yes. and it's okay. It's just, you know, no one's judging you. Just have fun. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think that that's it too. It's a, it's, it actually all, all ties back. If you think about it, Kate, about losing the fear, feeling the fear and doing it anyway, just nobody's Ooh, judging nice you. Back. I love it. I love <laughs> it. So tell me what's your favorite network personally. Oh, you know what? It's so funny. I feel like I'm having this push-pull now that I'm name-dropping my toddler again. I have this push-pull with social media because now I have this wonderful kid in my life, and I'm just like photography paparazzi mom. Non-stop. 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 Yep. Yep. And and I I just feel like, you know, I was definitely a Twitter person for a long time, and then I felt like Twitter really made me uh, feel a little bit more on the work side of things. So after I had my kiddo, I was like – I was so like engrossed with taking pictures and, and you know, capturing every moment with her that I was like, oh, this is really, oh, okay, I'm going to have to Insta this. This is an yep. Insta thing. Yep. <laughs> you go right to Instagram a hundred percent. And then you look like a professional photographer, basically. Well, I am now. I mean, I've gotten that, you know, that certification, right? At Instagram, yep. <laughs> you know, if you yep. use five filters, then yep. you're official. You're official. Yep. Oh my gosh. I mean, now my Christmas cards are like my, I've printed them from Instagram. It's just, you know, it's really hilarious. So I think at this point, Insta is definitely my, my friend. I know the user behavior. It's just, it all changes, but have you experimented at all with Snapchat? I have. And you know, it's counterintuitive, right? You know what? And it's so funny because, you know, there are, there are social platforms as they come up. And I mentioned peach before, you know, social platforms and new things that pop up that you're just like, Oh gosh. I, and I'm going to, I'm going to say, I feel really old. <laughs> what am I, what am I doing here? <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going to send you my article that I wrote about this because it, this was the first network that I used that I was like, Oh crap. I'm old. <laughs> right? I, this is counterintuitive. This, this doesn't feel normal. What? And so it was such an interesting experience and um, I, I'll send it to you because it, it's like the basics because it, it was hard to get. It was, and it, but it's, I think it's going to be important actually. I, you know, oh, not, it's, it's going to be pretty important. So I think looking at it is very, very interesting. Okay. It's been so really we, interesting to see the brands too and how they're kind of oh, yeah. trying to force a lot of models into oh, yeah. Snapchat. So that's, they're not going to find it yet. It's a while it, away. Yeah. It's, a while it's, away. it's interesting. It's a while away. Okay, Kate. So we know that one piece of advice that you have for sure is about being fearless, feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And tell me any other advice you would have for young aspiring youths who want to get to your position one day in, uh, in the world of publishing and or the world of marketing. Yeah. Um, I would say, gosh, I would say, yeah, in addition to finding a job that scares you, that but that excites you at the same time, understand that it's a moldable job. The job that you have at this moment could turn into something completely different and something completely challenging and exciting, but you have to look for where the opportunity is. So totally. if you're looking at the business and you're saying, oh, there's a hole right there that needs filling and I'm really kind of interested in that, just do some research on it and go for it because you never, ever, ever know. I, 
you know, a decade ago, I never thought in a million years that I would be running websites. I didn't, you know, I, I was the person who like played Atari in her room and was like, oh, okay, great. This is a very nerdy thing to do. Never in my life did I think that I'd be running websites. So, you know, but finding that hole and making myself available to learn and to be humble enough to say, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I'm going to learn it. It, it. it made a complete difference in my entire career. Awesome. Kate, where should people follow you? Oh, at Kate Rados. At, <laughs> at Kate Rados. Follow her. Follow her on Twitter. That's where she does all her business. And if you want to see cute pics, you can always ask to follow her on Instagram as well. This is true. Awesome, Kate. Thank you so much for being on All the Social Ladies. You are one fabulous social lady. You've been listening to All the Social Ladies with Carrie Kerfin, CEO of Likeable Media. You can follow Carrie on Twitter, at Carrie Kerfin. To get current social media insights and great tips, sign up for Carrie's weekly newsletter by emailing newsletter at likeable.com. This podcast is brought to you by Likeable Media. Likeable Media produces and distributes content across the social web for mid to large size brands. Visit them at likeable.com.